What we just sang was the situation of Micah, the prophet Micah. And uh, he trusted in God's matchless mercy. And that's what our theme is this morning. And we are going to read chapter 7 of the prophet Micah. And our focus will be on the last three verses for this service. This is God's word. Woe is me, for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits as the grape gleanings of the vintage. There's no cluster to eat. My soul desires the first, first ripe fruit. The good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with a net, that they may do evil with both hands earnestly. The prince asketh, the judge asketh for a reward, and the great man he uttereth his mischievous desire, so they wrap it up. The best of them is as a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of thy watchman and thy visitation cometh. Now shall be their perplexity. Trust ye not in a friend. Put ye not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her, her that lieth in thy bosom. For the son dishonoreth the father, and the daughter riseth up against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not against me, O, o my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me, he will bring me forth to the light and I shall behold his righteousness. Then she that is my enemy shall see it, and shame shall cover her with which said unto me, Where is the Lord thy God? Mine eyes shall behold her. Now shall she be trodden down as the mire of the streets. In the day that thy walls are to be built, in the days shall the decree be far removed. In that day also shall he shall come even to thee from Assyria and from the fortified cities and from the fortress, even to the river and from the sea, from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. Notwithstanding, the land shall be desolate because of them that dwell therein for the fruit of their doings. Feed thy people with thy rod, the flock of thine heritage, which dwells solitarily in the wood, in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead, as in the days of old, according to the days of thy coming out of the land of Egypt, while I shew unto them, unto him, marvelous things. The nations shall see and be confounded at all their might. They shall lay their hand upon their mouths, their ears shall be deaf. 
They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall move out of their holes like worms of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of thee. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Thus far, God's precious and holy and infallible word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, last week in preparation you heard about the glory of the Lord. His throne is glorious and high. But the amazing thing is that he lives with those who are of a broken and contrite heart, who tremble at his word, who fear the Lord with godly fear. And this morning, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are going to meet with Micah for a minute. And he was such a person. Micah was living, and we heard something of it, just like our day, in in, in, in troublous circumstances. He was wondering, is there anyone faithful these days? Troublous time. Judah, or Israel, the nation of Israel, had come to an all-time low. And throughout the book of Micah, he has been prophesying God's justice is coming for sin. Judgment must come because of the results, as a result of the people's sin. But Micah is not just a distant, like just pronouncing the judgments of the Lord. No, he knows the power of the word of God. He trembles at the word. You hear it in this chapter. Don't you? Woe is me. Just like Isaiah chapter 6. You heard about that last week too. That's a broken hearted cry. That's a broken hearted cry. Micah trembles at the word and he looks around and, and and sometimes he feels like he's the enemy taking over. Is he going to win? Sin is all around me. It seems so hopeless. And you know what he does in dark circumstances? Dark times. He looks to that high throne you heard about last week. That glorious high throne of God. The glorious throne of of Jesus Christ, the Lord. What does he do there? He looks there for mercy. Mercy that is displayed where that throne stood. In the glorious holy temple, yes. In the past, in the temple. But we know 
It was only a picture of that glorious high temple of heaven. And in faith, he looks higher, higher than everything he sees, everything he sees around him and everything he sees even inside him. He says in verse 7, Therefore will I look unto the Lord, because I will wait for God, the God of my salvation, and God will hear me. And he does so with a humble heart, with a broken and contrite heart, when we hear him say, I will bear the indignation of the Lord, because I have sinned against him. That's a broken heart. I know I am a sinner. Until he plead my cause. That's faith. He needs to do something for me. He needs to save me. He needs to deliver me. He needs to deliver me from all my sin. Until he plead my cause, he will bring me forth to the light. And I shall behold his righteousness. Spotless, perfect righteousness. Do you hear the brokenhearted cry of Micah? Here in these verses, in this chapter. He trusts in the Lord, the Lord and His glorious and matchless mercy. And that's what we see especially coming to a glorious climax in our text. Verses 18 through 20, where we read God's Word in our text for this morning. Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by, by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth of Jacob, to Jacob and the mercy of Abram, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Here in verse 18, we hear this rhetorical question, this question. You don't really expect an answer. Who is a God like unto the... Uh, Micah means who is a God like our God. He's playing with his name for a minute. Who is a God like unto thee? And when you read the rest of this verse and the rest of our text, there's basically one answer to that question. Who is a God like unto thee? Our God is a God of matchless mercy. And so as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that's our theme as we prepare our hearts. And we are going to see seven brief points about this matchless mercy. First of all, when we look at who is our God and we listen to this question, and we, how does he answer it? The first thing he answers is that who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? So this is pardoning mercy. This is pardoning mercy. Dear congregation, have you come this, this morning in amazement? Because there's amazement in this question. Who is a God like unto thee? Our, our God that pardoneth iniquity. Are you amazed about God's mercy? Because what is God doing? He pardons sin. He takes away sin. Do you have a fresh sense of that this morning? That that you know in your soul. Yes, God is perfectly just. And if he does with me according to my sins, I would be in hell. And he's going to judge one day perfectly 
all his enemies, all those who, who reject him, who do not trust in him. With that truth that God is fully just, and yet he's gloriously merciful. Do you come this morning to the house of God, to the Lord's Supper, with a, a sense of awe? A sense, who am I? Such a sinner as I am. That there is a God who pardons my iniquity. Who is a God like unto thee? Perhaps you remember what happened at the Red Sea years before. There, the same question was asked. Do you remember? The song of Moses and Miriam after they passed through the Red Sea. An impossible thing to do. They were asking the question in that song, Exodus 15, Who is a God like unto our God? What a reason they had, because they had been delivered. God delivered them out of physical bondage. But... Micah here in this verse is not talking about physical bondage. He's talking about a spiritual bondage. There's a greater deliverance than the deliverance from Egypt. And that deliverance should be even celebrated with greater amazement. There's a spiritual deliverance that God takes us out of the bondage of our sins. Who is a God like our God who pardons iniquity? What reason, if you know something of that, to celebrate this morning? To rejoice in such mercy, matchless mercy. What it means, pardon is our iniquity, that God, the burden that lies upon our backs, He takes it off. He lifts it. He forgives it. He takes it away. All those iniquities, those perverted inclinations of our hearts... That we don't obey Him by nature. And still sometimes struggle to obey Him. He pardons. He lifts that burden. Here is the same God that took Israel out of Egypt. Out of the bondage of Egypt. And Micah says here is a gr- the same God who has a greater exodus through Jesus Christ. An exodus for those who ex- expect him to save them. It's his work. It's his glory. And therefore you will sing this morning. Do you sing along with that song? Because Micah is echoing that song. Who is a God like unto our God? He's a God, first of all, of pardoning mercy. Matchless mercy. And secondly, he's a God of Passover mercy. Passover mercy. Look at verse 18b. And passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. You remember what happened. In the time of Micah, they were just like in the days of Egypt during the Exodus. Micah was living in a time of, of also of great judgments. Uh, the people that were going through the Exodus, they coming out of Egypt, they were, there was a time of great judgments, do you remember? There were the judgment raging over the land of Egypt, the plagues, even to the point that the firstborn were killed, all of them. God made a difference. What, what was the difference? 
A difference between the people of Egypt and the people of God. Egypt, all the judgments. God's people, mercy. Matchless mercy. Passover mercy. There the angel of destruction went through Egypt, punishing evil, going around, killing the firstborn. But God passed by transgressions of his heritage. God passed by his people. Now, were they better? Were they sinless? Were they somehow worthy of God's mercy? No, not at all. Why did God pass by, pass over them? Because of who he is. There's no God like unto him. Because God is full of matchless mercy. And here Micah tells us, while the Lord pours out his judgment upon unrepentant sinners. Are you here, unrepentant sinner? Perhaps some of us. God must pour out his judgment. Unless you come to repentance and trust in the matchless mercy of Jesus Christ. So while these judgments were going, there was this matchless mercy for God's people. Because he passes over the transgression of the remnant of his, of his people. Are you amazed about that? If, you're, if you belong to God's people, that he passes over you. How could he pass over, over his people? Young people, boys, girls, you can tell me, right? How? What happened? They had to go outside. They had to have a lamb. And they had to smear the blood of the lamb along the doorposts of the house. And then they had to go inside and wait. God promised, if the blood is on the doorpost, the angel of destruction will pass by, pass over your house. And so spiritually speaking, same thing. But then with your heart, is the blood of Jesus Christ on your heart, on your heart this morning? Is it come with, with, with new, new power to your heart and life this morning? That he passes by you because he killed a lamb, Jesus. That he makes a distinction. That he doesn't judge you with all the people who don't know God, but that he has mercy upon you. We see a, an imperfect picture of that in the Lord's Supper, don't we? Those who know God come forward. There's a kind of a distinction that, that is made in the congregation. God passes by his people with regard to their sins, who trust in the blood. And so... The question is, this morning, the all-important question for the Lord's Supper is, is, is the blood on the doorpost of your heart? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing blood? There's power in the blood. Do you trust in Him? You know what happened? God promised, as soon as the Passover was, was slaughtered, he, he, he said... When I see the blood, the Passover lamb, of the Passover lamb, I will pass over, I will spare you 
and no plague will befall you to destroy you. That's mercy. Glorious, glorious mercy. When I see the blood, does he see the blood in your life? Then he won't count anything sinful that you've done or any rebellion against you. Instead, you belong to his, you are part of his heritage, a remnant of his heritage. You are precious in his sight. God will not pour out his wrath upon you, his anger over sin, which you and I so rightly deserve because of Jesus. The Passover is slain or killed or slaughtered for us, Paul says in Corinthians. Slaughtered for us. Reminds us of the Lord's Supper. Who is a God like unto thee? A God of pardoning mercy, a God of Passover mercy. That's what we celebrate this morning in the Lord's Supper. A God who supplies the blood of Jesus Christ, that precious lamb, that spotless lamb. Focus on him this morning. Thirdly, it's pleasure-filled mercy. Pleasure-filled mercy, 18c, verse 18c. He retaineth not his anger forever, but he delighteth in mercy. Now, what does the word retain mean? If you retain, you hold something. You take hold of it and with a firm grip. It says that God could have justly taken hold of our sins and, and of his anger and hold us through his anger in a firm grip. Praise God, he doesn't. He could have justly in your and my and each one of our lives to hold on to his righteous anger, his just anger. But by grace and through the powerful Holy Spirit in our lives, and when we trust in the blood of Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, he tells us that he will loosen that grip. He will open his hand not to give us the wrath that we deserve, but he will open it with matchless mercy. Because that's what our text says. And the beautiful thing about it is not he, he just he wants his hand to be like open this way as if we need to somehow uh, persuade God to be merciful. No, no, no. It says in our text, he delights in mercy. It's his pleasure to do so. He loves to do this. He willingly, graciously, joyfully opens his hand in mercy for hell-deserving sinners, for, for, for people like you and me who are such sinful beings in and of ourselves. Who is a God like unto thee who pardoneth iniquity? And passeth by the remnant of his inheritance, heritage and retaineth not his anger. But he delights in mercy. He loves to, to show his mercy. Loyal love, the word is. Unfailing love. Glorious kindness. Steadfast love. Tenderness. All this is wrapped up in that word mercy. Loving kindness, committed love, even to the point of death, even to the point of the death of the cross of Jesus Christ. He delights to show mercy. 
Thomas, Thomas Watson, one of the Puritans, said this. God is more inclined to mercy than wrath. Mercy is his darling attribute, which he most delights in. Acts of severity are rather forced from, him, from God. He does not afflict willingly. Oh, isn't that what we are celebrating in the Lord's Supper? That God delights in mercy through Jesus Christ, that he is loyal in his love, that he is faithful, that he has great delight to show us his, 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 his mercy and his love. Think about the first Lord's Supper. With great desire have I desired to, have, to, to eat this Passover with you, Jesus said to his disciples. Why? He wanted to show them how they were taken out of their bondage and how he frees them by giving them bread and wine to show what he would do on the cross. I have desired to show this to you. Loyal love, matchless mercy. Who is a God like unto thee? There's no one like him. There's, there's nothing in earth like him. This is fourthly also pitying mercy. Verse 19 tells us he will turn again. He will have compassion on us. He will turn again actually literally means he will do it again. So you can translate this phrase like he will again have compassion on us. And this word compassion means that, that he has a deep uh, kind, kind sympathy and, a, a, and even a, a felt sorrow for those who have been struck by, by hardships or afflictions or misfortune. Uh, what is our greatest misfortune we have? Our sin. And God has a sympathetic heart, merciful heart for sinners. And he desires, that's what compassion means as well, desires to relieve our trouble and suffering. He is a God of pitying mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will do it again. He will again have compassion on us. He will again show his sympathy to us. Do you hear that? Maybe there's someone here this morning who is, you look back at your preparatory week and you, you see your sin. I hope you do. And you say, how, Lord, why? Why am I such a sinner? Maybe you have even fallen badly this week. And sin and Satan and temptation seem to be stronger than you. And, and Satan maybe is even, even trying to, to harass you. Even you can't go to the Lord. Say, look what you did. There is no forgiveness for you. It's hopeless. You call yourself a Christian. Do you, can, do you think you can partake of the Lord's Supper like that? And what does our text say? God loves to show his pity to you. And he can do it again. Despite of who we are, because of the Lamb, because of Jesus. Or perhaps you are here this morning and, and, and you used to have a very close walk with the Lord and, and you have been sliding back slowly but surely. And, and you don't sense that, that wonderful presence of the Lord, His nearness perhaps. And sometimes you are tempted to think, well, is that ever going to come back? It's probably never going to come back. And maybe you are brokenhearted about that. Maybe you're waiting. Maybe you're longing and praying, Lord, come, 
come to my soul with your precious presence. What do you hear here this morning in this text? He will again, he will do it again. He will again have compassion on you in your, in your troubles, in your struggles, and even in your struggles with sin. The good work that he has begun will by his grace be fully done in you. He says, come back. He will again have compassion on you. He will feel pity. And he will deliver you from all your sin. Full of sympathy. Full of kindness. With a, with a glorious, meek and lowly and merciful heart. Who is a God like this? A God of matchless mercy. Fifthly, this is a prevailing mercy. Look at verse 19b. He will subdue our iniquities. Do you see that? Our. Micah says, I need that too. I need, I need someone to subdue my iniquities. What does that mean? This word subdue means trample, uh, overrule, conquer, overcome our iniquities. So that's, pre- that's why it's called prevailing mercies, this point. So Micah is saying, God is going to trample in His glorious mercy all my enemies underfoot. Yes, when I look ultimately at this world, uh, wicked world around me, yes, He will do so. But, but one, more wonderful is this, that He will even uh, trample uh, my sins underfoot. He will subdue our iniquities. Maybe someone says, well, it seems sometimes that sin is trampling me. Sin is conquering me. What do you think? Who is God like unto our God? Do you think His mercy is more? His mercy is greater. Where sin abounded, His mercy abounds even more. Super abounds, it says. He will trample our sins underfoot. Just like you did with enemies in those days, you would trample upon them, showing I've conquered it. That's what God does with our sins, with our iniquities. We think about that wonderful verse in Genesis 3, verse 50. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and I will bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That's what God promised from the very start. When we just fell in sin, God came and says, I have got, I've got going to trample Satan and sin and hell and death underfoot. How glorious. Matchless mercy. Romans 16 verse 20 says, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Trample underfoot. I will subdue your iniquities. Our iniquities, the twistedness of our nature. You will trample that underfoot and prevail. What, what mercy. There is no sin too big. Are, are you struggling to believe it? There's no sin too big for God to trample underfoot and, to, and, and to, to crush the power of Satan and sin and death and hell. That's what we see in the cross. Who is a God like unto our God? He is a God of matchless mercy. 
And he is a God of powerful mercy. Next, verse 19, see, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depth of the sea. This, this word cast is such a powerful word because it says throw forcefully, to hurl, a toss with power. It means that you cast something away and God says, I will cast in disgust and, and with force I will cast your sins in the depth of the sea. I want to get rid of it. All of them. And God does so with great delight and great power. But do you remember what happened in the Exodus? Who were cast in the depth of the sea? Yes, Pharaoh, his horsemen, and his riders, his strong army, destroyed. In this greater exodus of Jesus Christ, not Pharaoh, not his army, are, are, are hurled into the bottom of the sea, but our sins. They sink to the bottom, in the depth of the sea, so that we cannot see them. See, if he would have done that close to the shore, you would wade back in and would look at them. But it's the depth of the sea. They are not to be fished up again. Corinne de Boom said, he puts a little sign there. No fishing allowed. It's there to be covered with the water. To not be seen anymore. God forgets. Not that he forgets anything because he knows all things, but he deliberately doesn't want to remember your, my sin, if you're in Christ this morning. He puts them in the bottom of the ocean. He says, leave them there. In the bottom of the ocean of his precious powerful blood leave them there who is a God like unto thee don't you want to sing with Moses and Mary on the other side of the Red Sea who 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 is a God like unto thee that's so wonderful what happened there what did God say to his people there is before they were all in trouble remember before the Red Sea was opened God said Fear not, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord. It's also today, with regard to your sin, stand still. You can't work it up. Stand still, see, watch the salvation of the Lord that he has done and finished on the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what we see in the bread and wine. Come and meditate and sit still before the Lord and take the elements, the bread and the wine that point you to the cross of Jesus Christ. Stand still and see the salvation, the complete salvation of Jesus Christ. He has won the battle. And listen to what Moses said next. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, shall, ye shall see again, them again no more forever. Those were the Egyptians in the bottom of the sea. What sins does he need to drown for you in the bottom of his blood? In the, in, the, in, the, in the bottom of the ocean of his blood. And he promises to all his people that he will trample those sins underfoot. 
who is a glory is a glorious God like unto our God of matchless mercy. Yes, uh, till the end of our lives we will struggle, but one day all our sea, all our sins will be in uh, on the bottom of the ocean, and we will sing on the other side that glorious song, and we will take our harps and sing in the glassy sea the praise of our redeemers matchless mercy and grace who is a God like unto thee and that brings us to our last point here promised mercy verse 20 thou wilt perform give or cause the truth of Jacob and the mercy to Abram which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old do you see that promised sworn even about it mercy faithful truth to Jacob, to Abram. What, what did God promise to Abram? He promised a son. He promised a seed. He promised a land. And many sons. A son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb, in which all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He promised a land, a better land, a glorious land, better than the promised land of Israel. Heaven itself. He promised that many sons would be brought there and would rejoice in the matchless mercy of the king. Tribes, tongues, tribes, nations from all over. Through Jesus Christ, he brings, like the greater Joshua, into the promised land. He saves a multitude through this matchless mercy. He bound himself to do so. The Lord's Supper is a covenant meal. He swore about it. I'm going to do this. Revelation 7 talks about it. About this matchless mercy that God will do it. It's it's as if we we stand on on the other side of the Red Sea and sing along when when we hear these words. After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all the nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Here's the seed. And cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. That's the Son, Jesus. And all the angels stood round about the throne. That's the promised land. And about the elders and the four beasts and fell uh, before the, uh, the throne on their faces and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. All nations will be blessed. And they rejoice with a new song. In this matchless mercy of of the, the one who has brought a greater exodus. Jesus Christ. Out of our sins. Out of our bondage. How did they get there? They came out of great tribulation. And have washed their robes and made them white in the blood. And therefore they sing. Therefore they praise. That is matchless mercy indeed. Oh, will you not come this morning for the first time or afresh and sing along and say in awe with Micah this morning, Who is a God like unto thee? If you have come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his matchless mercy through 
through Christ, will you, will you join and celebrate covenant mercy, this mercy that is promised in and through the Lord Jesus Christ to undeserving sinners? Will you celebrate it? Will you rejoice in it? Amen. At this time, we know we are first going to 